Thank you for those beautiful voices that you sing praises to the Lord. That was wonderful. Calms my heart. You should be inside of me when I'm sitting on the front row, ready to get up here. It's like a caged animal. Jim the bull, Jim the bull. I can't wait to get going. So here we are. It's an honor to be here. It's such an honor to be here. And I really appreciate the opportunity. I thank Glenn McDonald for reaching out and restoring my confidence in church leadership when I was in my darkest years of life. So thank you, Glenn, even though you don't hear this, that Jim Livingood gets to stand here and bring a message from the Word of God. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 139 if you have your Bibles. If not, there's pew Bibles down and uh, you can look in them. If you look and open your Bible right in the middle, you'll probably be in the Psalms. So turn to a Psalm 139. If you look up at the top of Psalm 139, the titles are probably original. So we have, for the director of music, Psalm of David. This text evidently was to be sung. David wrote it to praise the Lord's character, gave it to the, the uh, um, musician at the temple and said, put this to music, we'll use it in our worship services. But it was also a text that David wrote to magnify the awesome character of God. I don't know of a place where you can find a text where three of the great attributes of God are listed side by side as you can in this psalm. Each attribute of God is portrayed in a six-verse segment. So there's four six-verse segments in these 24 verses. And we're going to look at the first three today. That was good. That came up really good. Except I think we're ahead of it. At any rate, the first six-segment um, section discusses the omniscience of God. Omniscience means all knowledge. And the first attribute is one that in which that word is not a biblical word. That word is not in the Bible, but it, it sort of describes the whole thing. And it means all knowing, all knowledge. There you go. Thank you. Appreciate it. That means all knowledge. And in each of the six-verse segments, David states in the first verse of that six-verse segment the general theme. And so we have... In this next slide, there we go. So in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. This word for search is one in which the Lord really goes into depth, takes a penetrating look into our hearts. And uh, it's also used as a military term. Search, which means reconnoiter, which if you know the military, that's a term that refers to examining enemy territory to see if you can find out their positions and vital information. It also refers to digging to search for precious gems. So let's go modern. The Lord really digs us. He knows us from start to finish. There's nothing he doesn't know. Then David goes on in the second section, 7 to 12. 
And he discusses that fact that God is everywhere present. Everywhere in this world is where God is. We use another word to describe this. That's not a biblical word again, but it does encompass the whole thing. And that is omnipresence. Again, this general theme is stated in verse 7, the first verse of the six-verse segment. Where can I go from your spirit? Where, from where can I flee from your presence? There is no place that you can go and say, I am outside the boundaries of God's sight. I'm outside the boundaries of God's presence. He goes with his people, his men and women, in every walk, in every nook and cranny, and in this whole of the globe and of the whole universe as well. One more. Let's go down to verses 13 through 18. This section describes God's omnipotence, his all power or all might. And he does so in a way in this section that uses the forming of each human in the womb uh, as the example of all power being used of God. But at any rate, I sort of gave you an outline of our message today, so in case you fall asleep, you'll be able to speak intelligently about what the message was at lunch. At any rate, what's the main focus of this chapter as a whole? It's verses 17 and 18. This is the main focus. How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David looks at God and he looks at himself and he says, how precious, how wonderful it is just to have the thoughts of God upon him. He says, it blows my mind to think of God's thoughts towards me. If I were to count them and just picking up grace after grace and mercy after mercy and gift after gift of the thoughts that God has toward us, of what God has given to us mortals, people like ourselves. He says, you may as well count the sand on the seashore. What a great chapter. And what is it about, really? What is it ultimately about? The point of Psalm 139, now listen, it's to magnify the awesome character of God. But why? Why do that? Well, let me use myself as a bad example. <laughs> My problems, I take them and they mount up. If you have problems, they mount up and they mount up. And, they, and pretty soon they're up there. And my vision of God is like this. You ever get that going on in your life? And the biblical text says, you know what's wrong. You need a view that's like this of God. And the problems will come down to their appropriate size. That's, that's what happens when we view God who he really is. Because as God grows in majesty, as he grows in the awesomeness of his person in our mind, I have a better perspective on who I am. I have a better perspective on my relationship with my spouse my role and relationship with her and my kids and with those whom I work. I need an awesome God to put this in perspective. I just read a book. I read a book about three weeks ago in preparation for this very message. It was called, uh, written by J.B. Phillips. It was called, Your God is Too Small. He's right. I mean, not in the scriptures, 
not in this psalm. He's magnificently large in the scriptures. But life tends to cloud that out. And it, it, it hides that from our awareness. And that's why we need to stay in the biblical text and study and hear messages from it. It helps us remember who God is and then our problems come down to their rightful size. I want to go through some of the individual verses in this chapter as we uh, go through the second half of my talk. What are the characteristics or attributes as seen in Psalm 139 of this wonderful and matchless God whose, whose majesty really exceeds anything we've seen in our day better than computer games? I say that for the kids. I want them to remember that God is greater than those awesome graphics on the screen. Well, look in verse 1 again. David says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. God knows everything about me. You're going to have some good news when I get done with this point. He knows the totality of the acts of my life. When I'm resting, he knows that. When I'm traveling, he knows that. When I rise up and go out, he's watching me and you. In fact, verse 3, David says, you know all my ways. They're all known by the Lord. You say, oh, he's too busy. He's got problems in Egypt. Have you been paying on attention to what's going on there? But no, no, beyond Egypt, he knows you too. Every action, every undertaking, every thought that I have, our Heavenly Father knows about it. Listen to this. God not only, not only knows what happens in our life, this will blow your mind. He knows the what ifs. Really? He knows the what ifs? He does. Listen to 1 Samuel 23. King David had just saved the city he was in. Kaila. You ever hear of that town? Kaila. K-E-I-L-A-H. While in the city, he got a rumor that his enemy Saul was coming. So he came to the Lord and he said, Lord, will these people of Kaila, whom I just delivered from the Philistines, will they hand me over to Saul when he gets here? And secondly, will Saul indeed come down to the city? And the Lord said, yes, Saul will come down the city. And yes, these people, grateful though they are for your help, will hand you over to Saul. David said, thanks, Lord. He was out of there. He ran. So does God know all that goes on in your life? Yes. Does he know all that could have gone on? First Samuel 23? Yes. He knows the what-ifs in life as well. Isn't that astounding? So vast is the information that God has about us. It should actually help us. Because sometimes we think we're all alone out there. Or God doesn't really care. Sometimes we think we're living there and, oh yeah, God is there in general. No, 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 no. Not on your life. God is not just there in general. The strong son of God stands beside each of his men and women, helping us watching over us, comforting us. You're never alone. Listen to this. You're not alone even if you're not a member of God's family. He's present and watching those even who don't believe in him. 
Look at verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Wow. The effect of such knowledge is seen in verse 5 and 6. You hem me in. Behind and before, you've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. It's too lofty for me to even comprehend. Friends, how did God ever pay attention to a speck like me and like you? He has to love us a lot to observe us so closely. He has a lot invested in us too. In fact, guess what? We people sitting here, are God's pride. He made people in his image. People are not junk. People are made in the image of God. And therefore, this heavenly father searches us out and sifts us to see who we are. Are you ready for this? He likes us. He likes us. I believe that with every bit of my being. For him to care so much and search so closely, he doesn't always like what we do, but he likes us. You see that in that text we just read, God hems us in. He surrounds us, not in the sense of imposing control. No, 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 no. In the sense of freeing us up, frees from worry. So we don't have to watch out on our flank or watch out what's coming behind me. Oh, God is there watching us. That's freeing. That ought to spell relief for an awful lot of people. The omniscience of God, all-knowing aspect of God ought to spell relief because in spite of knowing it all, he still loves us. You say, no way. No way he couldn't love me after what I did and said. Yeah, that's what we're reading about. He does love us. It should spell relief to our souls. I, had a friend from China that came over and wanted to go to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And he got here a year before school started because he didn't know the American language well enough, didn't know how to spell. So people said, watch American television. You'll learn to spell. So two days later, he comes to Bible study. I learned my first American word today. I learned how to spell it. Relief. R-O-L-A-I-D-S. That was pretty funny. We thought that was great. But how does Psalm 139 spell relief? Here it is. Our Heavenly Father knows us intimately and still cares for us. Can you imagine every person in this room if on a big white screen here, your thoughts and actions in the last week were projected, and we were all sitting here looking at it. So, he calls himself a Christian. How would you feel about that? Would you be, who would be happy to have that occur? God looks at the screen and still loves us. That ought to spell relief. Let's go to the next six verse section. We have to hurry on. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Verse seven says, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, this is poetry now. The wings of the dawn are the rays of sunlight coming across the horizon from the east. 
if I go to the east, or if I settle the far side of the sea. The Jews were always oriented east toward Jerusalem. So the right hand was the south. The left hand was the north. East was before them. And the Mediterranean Sea was always behind them, west. And so the point here is, David says, whether I go all the way to the east or all the way to the west, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. We can't get away from the presence of God. And though that has a, a fearful aspect to it, it also has a comforting aspect to it, which you'll see in a moment. God is always there, omnipresent. Ask Jonah. He tried to get away from God, didn't he? He had a whale of an experience. <coughs> but he couldn't get away. God was with him wherever he went. Remember, he said, I want you to go to your enemy's territory to preach. Jonah said, who, me? Go up to the Assyrians in Nineveh? I hate Assyrians. Uh, not, too, not too nice of an attitude for a Jewish prophet. God did not tell him he had the right to hate the Assyrians, but he did. And I know why. Because they would take the hands of everybody they killed and cut it off. Put it in bags. And they would carry bag after bag after bag home. They would also take their enemies that they killed and impale them and skin them. Take that home and use it for wallpaper. Hitler wasn't the first person to use human skin for lampshades. They were brutal. Probably some of Jonah's family or friends had endured some of that. So no wonder Jonah resisted the call. He was a great preacher, of course. Give him the chance to go down locally to the church and preach on the expansion of the kingdom of God. He had a great message for that. He was a good one. But try to evangelize his enemies? No, no, he got a ticket and headed off to Spain. I'm sure you remember he went down the bottom of the ship, fell asleep. The captain woke him up and said, wake, pray to your God, we're perishing in this storm. Now he says, I, I know what this is. My God, from whom I'm trying to get away, he won't let me. Throw me in the sea and this will stop. The captain said, it will? Yeah, throw me in the sea, it'll stop. Well, they tried to get to land, they couldn't, so they threw him in the sea. Now, listen, even when he got into the sea, he discovered as he went down to the heart of the mountain base, then in the belly of a fish, that he couldn't get away from God. And he ended up praying down there. Help! Thankfully, God was there. And just as soon as Jonah did a good thing, the fish vomited him up on the land. You know what? There's no place that we can go and be outside of God's care and his inspection and his comfort, and we can trust him. This God cares for us an awful lot. Look at what David says in verse 11. Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will become night around me. But no, even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. What a great, beautiful statement. God's guiding and upholding presence will always be everywhere for you and for me. Even the most oppressive darkness holds no escape from the presence of God. It too will not be too dark, for his searching eye sees right through it. Ten days ago today, I sat in a Starbucks across 
from one of my closest friends in life. The next day, he was going to be sentenced in criminal court for a mishandling of money. He was scared to death. By the way, he did get 10 years. And he sat across from me in the Starbucks and said, I'm scared. I'm getting to go into a very dark place. And I said, I've got good news for you. And I basically preached him this part of our message today. I said, God will be with you. I know you. You won't be able to keep your mouth shut about Jesus. You'll start a ministry in there. I said, I know it feels like a dark, oppressive spiritual place, but God's eyes can even see through that. Of course, he sat there with tears. He said, boy, I sure wish I could be there and hear that message. Well, he's not here. He's in jail. At any rate, should we try and pull a Jonah, hide from God? Or should we run from him because we've been hurt? You know, some of God's people have tramped on us. So we're going to take it out on God. Or we've been in a church where God's sheep have snapped. God's sheep are wonderful, but they sometimes bite. Most sheep don't. Sometimes God's sheep do. I got bites all over my ankles if you want to come from check. You can't kick them. You can't hit them. They're God's sheep. He died for them. David's point, though, is that the Lord is an ever-present help in times of trouble. There's no way I can get outside of his care. Thirdly, the omnipotence of God, the all-powerful nature in God. Again, he states the general theme in verse uh, 13. Watch how he's going to show how mighty God is. You created me. My inmost being, you knit together in my mother's womb. You say, oh, this is about zygotes and eggs and sperms. No, just because you put an X and Y on the blackboard doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. What happens in the womb is a mystery above all mysteries. It baffles the life out of us. Look what David says in verse 14. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. He said, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Hey, how about that? God placed his love on you when you were an unformed being in the mother's womb. He loved you before day one. Some of you want counseling about your self-worth. Let it begin there. God loved you before day one. Again, in verse 13, we're stitched or knit together as a weaver knits. So the Lord says he's created us and he's knit us together in tiny, insignificant speck of liquid material, hardly visible to the naked eye. And it becomes hair, skin, eyes, 60 trillion cells, the human body. 100,000 miles of nerve fiber laid end to end. What about 60,000 miles of blood vessels? Some say this isn't marvelous, just nature. God, with his almighty power, knit us together in our mother's womb, and he loved us from the beginning. He loves every child in this room, every man, every woman. He loves you no matter what you've done in the last month or year. 
or decade. The Lord is a marvelous God. And with his almighty power, he also built animals. He built mountains and planets. But none of them are in his image except people. I hate to say it this bluntly, but some people can't tell the difference between saving babies and saving whales. There is a difference. They should know. People are made in God's image. So we've looked at the three attributes of God. And there should be a slide up. (laughs) Back to the point, the conclusion. Who has the omnipotence and the omniscience and the omnipresence of God? To whom then will we liken God or with what will we compare him? And how will I ever be able to express in, in some small measure the majesty of God and the glory of his person? The truth is, truth is, I'm not going to be able to even approximate it in my expressions of praise. But the truth also is, he's poured out his love and grace and all these gifts right on out on the likes of ourselves. It would be the heights of ignorance much less of ingratitude for one who goes everywhere I go, who knows everything about me, and who has all power, and who loves me were I not to love him back. And this Lord said, even before our gestation period was ended, I love you. I'm watching you. And my presence goes with you because that's who I am. Worship him in great joy, my friends. Serve him with all your heart and soul because it's going to be worth it all, especially when we see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, help us respond to you this day for your word is magnificent. It teaches us who you really are. Thank you that you search us thoroughly, that you go where we go and that you watch our lives but even more that after the search, that even with what you see in our hearts, you still love us. Forgive us when we're we're acting like that wasn't true. Change us, God. Make us more pure so that we can walk more closely to the holy God. If there's anyone in this sanctuary who hasn't known you very much before this day, or if there's one who needs to get reacquainted with you, Help that one to see what he or she has been missing in life. In fact, use this very text, Psalm 139, to awaken spiritual life within and give the one who needs it motivation to trust Christ for his hope and salvation and to lay the life before you, even today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.